everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, we've been talking about the artists behind huge hits from the 80s. We're taking a slight detour this week, only because this song, which was a huge hit, is not exactly still ubiquitous to this day. This is Right on Track by The Breakfast Club. It reached number seven in 1986. It was a big hit, and it was unfortunately their only big hit. This week we are talking to the bassist, Gary Burke. So, The Breakfast Club released one album. This is the only hit. They put out a second single called Kiss and Tell. It didn't quite crack the top 40, unfortunately. And that was pretty much it. In fact, Gary was kind of unceremoniously kicked out of the band or quit the band and was replaced by Randy Jackson of American Idol. But then new music never came out. But what makes The Breakfast Club a really interesting piece of history is that in the early days, in the late 70s and early 80s, they were a punk group in New York, and their drummer was Madonna, the actual real Madonna. She, at the time, was, well, she dated pretty much everybody in the band at some point. Gary talks about that. But at the, at the, in the beginning, she was in a relationship with the lead singer, Dan Gilroy, who went on to become the lead singer in the version that we're playing and talking about right now. But that was Madonna's launch pad. She uh, learned how to write music from Dan. She had a lot of ambition, as we know, and she became world famous. And so Gary talks a lot about those early days with her, what she was like, what it was like being around her, and then how the band came to be. It's a really interesting story. And they're in the process right now of making a documentary about this point in Madonna's history when she was a member of the Breakfast Club. You might hear Gary reference someone named Guido. That's what he's talking about, is the movie that they're making right now about this period. Gary is a really good guy. Unfortunately, he there's been some tragedy in his life, and um, it hasn't always been easy. But he's a good man, and it took me over a year to get him to warm up to talk to me, and I'm very grateful that he did. I hope you enjoy this conversation and, and appreciate the interesting view of history that we get from Madonna. He called me from his home in New York City. Okay, let's talk about Madonna. Let's get the okay. Madonna part out of the history. So, from what I understand, <laughs> sure. you, guys, you guys are, I don't think you're even in the initial Breakfast Club band, but it's the Gilroy Brothers, and it's Stephen Bray, and it's no. a girl named Angie or something. You tell me. No, okay. The original Breakfast Club band. I played with the Gilroy Brothers in a band called the Acme Band, all during the 70s. Mm. I quit and moved to Atlanta. John Cale had come up to us at CBGB's and said, you guys want to record? Oh, my and like, God. I, didn't, I felt like they didn't follow that lead. So I was frustrated. I was getting, getting on in years. I was 28 or something like that. Uh-huh. And uh, my brother lived in Atlanta, so I went down to work with him. I, I, sh- I wish I hadn't done it, but that's what happened. During the years, during that year, 1979, when I was in Atlanta, the Gilroy brothers, of course, stayed together, and they were playing in that synagogue in Corona in Queens. Mm-hmm. And Dan Dan Gilroy met Madonna during that year. So when I came home, I got I got homesick for New York. I came back the next you know year, and I called up and said, "How you guys doing?" And he said, hey, "We we had this new group, and that was that was called Breakfast Club, and that was with the two Gilroy brothers." Angie Smith on bass, she was from mm-hmm. the Netherlands, and Madonna on drums. So they said, come on over and watch this rehearse. 
So okay. I went over. So I went over back to the synagogue. I hadn't been there for a year, and I watched them do a, a set. You know, they rehearsed. Uh-huh. Madonna came out from the drums for two songs. One was called Trouble, and one was called Hot House Flower, which she had co-written. Mm. Much of a musician, or was this the kind of thing where Dan wanted his girlfriend in the band? And I'm not—I don't mean that I think, in uh, a negative way, but she was actually a dancer. So she came yeah. to New York to be a dancer. He met her at a party. She came to the synagogue, which was a great environment, and he started teaching her the drums. She had a natural feel for music through growing up in Detroit. You know, with so she mm-hmm. loved Motown. She loved sure. Motown and, and this and that. Like you know, she's. She's like seven years younger than me, so she she came up in a different era, but um, right. not, not that different. So she was into okay. the Supremes and, you know, all the Motown acts and stuff like that. So she sort of had a thing, a, a black music thing from living in Motown, and she was a natural dancer. <clears throat> that was her. Huh. <clears throat> and she came to New York to, to pursue dancing. So this was sort of a splinter-off thing. Dan probably started going out with her, and he he taught her drums. Right, you know, okay. And, Probably started to, started to teach her guitar and stuff like that. Okay. So, do you know I how long to, they went out? I would say from, you know, from seventy somewhere from seventy nine to, I guess eighty eighty one maybe not not quite really. Okay. I mean, it was just a two year thing. Well, a, that's not that's a decent sized right relationship. Every time half. everything I read says <clears throat> right. briefly. Dated Madonna, That's but true. two years isn't briefly to me. Well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't two years, but it well, was at still. least it, it was at least one year. Okay. I came. I came in <clears throat> just as seventy nine was turning into eighty. I don't know how long they had been together, but they were getting gigs in the city. Okay. And so they had. So I would say, yeah. In fact, she had gone to France with Patrick Hernandez as a backup singer. So she had mm. kind of they kind of broken up while she went to France, went to Paris yeah. and stuff. Okay. And when she came back, they got back together. So they wrote letters to each other. They corresponded. So I don't know if you if you would call that still going together or what, whatever. Okay. Still so connected. That, that's six okay. months right there. And yeah. And when I joined the band, you know what? We were short lived. Actually, it broke up. Me and me and my friend Mike Monahan. 
I can explain some of the other iterations. What happened okay. was I go to that rehearsal and I like it. It's like punky. Uh-huh. It's like part of the part of that early do-it-yourself movement, you know. Sure. Which I had been through all of the seventies with with the Gilroy Brothers and my friend Mike Monahan, who was the wow. drummer in the Acme band. But when and you guys are I, playing CBGBs and you're part of the scene. We were not yet not 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 oh. as the Acme band. We were really learning our stuff, and we only we insisted on just doing our own original material. So we were okay. never a cover band. We we did a couple of covers. We did a couple of gigs where we did covers, but mostly we just played our own material. Okay. And Mike Mike was the drummer. I started as the guitar player, but I but but eventually they asked me to switch to bass because they thought okay. like as brothers they could uh, you know communicate better on guitar and you know. Plus, I, I played a really lousy gig once. <laughs> oh. Like, our first gig was at the school where Dan, Dan was an art teacher out in Massapequa in Long Island. Oh, okay. We went out there. We had crappy equipment. I wrote a song called Rookie Rock later on, you know, about it. Uh-huh. We had okay. A, we, 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 we slapped a, you know, $10 mic on a camera tripod, you know. Yeah. We had shit. <laughs> we had, like, stereo speakers, you know, instead of. We had some shitty amplifiers and stuff, and we, but we went out and played a gig at Massapequa High School, and I really kind of sucked. And there was a really good guitar player named Richie Fligler sitting in the front row, and I was I was intimidated, so I I really sucked that day. Mm-hmm. So, so the upshot of that was like, hey Gary, would would you like to play bass? Because Fligler probably <laughs> said to the Gilroy's like, Gary <laughs> Gary sucks. That that was bad. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I remember right. going down to him and saying, "Hi, Richie," and he like rolled his eyes. You know, oh <laughs> I, man, I, it was a, Rough. a humbling moment. Yeah, so, okay. you know, I was just I was glad to play bass, and it made a certain kind of sense for them to to they could rehearse together, living at the synagogue and all that. Uh-huh. So we played a lot, and Mike Monahan, he was the drummer, I was the bass player, and the Gilroy's played guitar. So we were real do-it-yourself uh-huh. thrash band. Sure. We 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 never got to the CBGB level at that point. In time. Oh, I wondered. Okay. But we played great, funny gigs, you know, like sure. at like at like um at Be- Bellevue, you know, the the Bellevue Psych Ward on Halloween. Oh night. wow! Nice. Or like, there or you like go. For mentally disabled Cub Scout troops in schoolyards <laughs> in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. Or, go, or uh, play the boardwalk out on Long Beach, you know. Yeah. You know, it was just it was just That's fun. Great. Mostly, we just enjoyed playing, and we, we we were hard workers, and we were writing our own stuff. So it was like we played a good four nights a week at the synagogue. Right all during the but you're week. not making a living as a musician no. yet. Sounds like you guys everyone, have regular jobs. Everyone had their regular jobs. My okay. I, I had stupid. You know, I I've had many many jobs. Sure. But so that was that. Okay. So I go to that rehearsal that night. And Angie and Madonna meet. They they get me into a corner and said, "What should we do? How can we improve?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and wow. I, said, I, I I thought they were pretty good, so I was going, "I don't know. Sound good to me?" Yeah. Then I just sort of flashed on like Blondie, and so I so I sort of said, "Maybe a keyboard would be, you know, would add something to the mix." Yeah. And, you know. So before you know it, Dan goes out and buys, you know, one of these cheesy keyboards of that era. Uh-huh. Casio or something or other, right? And and like just a few weeks later, all of a sudden they're asking me to be the bass player. They fired Angie, which I feel I felt really bad about. 
I didn't really huh. want to replace anyone. I didn't want to, yeah. you know, but like, I don't know what caused them to fire her and ask me to be mm. the bass player. And then they asked Mike to come back and be the drummer. And Madonna would go on the keyboards. Okay. Now, Mike was their next-door neighbor wow. all, all, all during childhood, literally their next-door neighbor. Really? I went to, oh, I wow. went to high school. I went to Jesuit military school on West 16th Street with, with Mike. So that's how I knew Mike. Okay. So, that, so through Mike, after I came back, after I dropped out of Georgetown and came back to New York, I called Mike because I liked him. We weren't really that uh-huh. tight in high school or anything, but I, I remembered liking him, so I called him. I had been away from New York for three years, and he was surprised to hear from me. And so we started hanging out. His best friend was Eddie Gilroy. They shared the same birthday. They were born a year apart, and they both lived up in the upper floor of uh, of, of these houses in Queens Village. So I got to know Eddie and, and Mike, and then then we, we started playing, you know, just toying around. Sure. Because none of us were really very good. But we're just having fun. Sure. And Dan, with Dan was like the older brother. He's like five years older than Eddie. So by by virtue of just being, he's he's kind of older and cooler than us. He was right, an artist. Right. He was the guy who got the synagogue, and he lived with another artist. You know. So we started like just jamming at the synagogue, and Dan was on drums at first. So there were oh. all these iterations and stuff. Yeah, it sounds but, like it. Okay. But after that, after that original breakfast club rehearsal all of a sudden mike goes on drums i'm on bass gilroy brothers on guitar madonna on organ and or keyboards and singing uh-huh. background vocals but she did she still got her two songs okay then we started playing like you know some gigs some some good gigs in the city but actually which in that which is you know, oh go ahead uh, i don't know i'm just babbling i guess but well, no, I'm just curious, you know, what your impressions of her are at this stage, obviously. She's, you know, she's one of the most famous people of all time. Yeah, I And know. you saw her in her infancy, so... Right, right. It is interesting. Of course, it does, it she's famous for her ambition. Were you seeing... Now, oh, clearly, yeah. I mean, it sounds to me like she is completely indebted to the Gilroys for teaching her music. I mean, if they're teaching well, her drums and, and keyboards and, and guitars... You know, she she is, she... They did. St- they did start her. Or Dan did. Dan taught her drums. Yeah. And then, and she, then she kind of like taught. She's sort of a self autodidact, as they say. Okay. So she's okay. sort of self-taught. So she started being living at the synagogue, provided with a, with a space. And like Dan would go off to work, making you know designing sheets and pillowcases mm. and stuff because he was an artist. So he worked okay. in the garment district, and she would stay home. She, she 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 had eight hours a day or ten hours a yeah. day to just to, to teach herself keyboards, okay. drums, guitar, stuff like that. Then when I came aboard, I I I, I started helping her teach teach her too. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, we were playing some gigs. Like we played this one gig at a sort of a pop up gig in a uh-huh. maybe a basement somewhere in the tw- West Twenties in Manhattan. A lot of people came and. When Madonna came out to do her two songs, the crowd liked her. They kind of oh. like, kind of like, made the Gilroys feel like, what's going on here, you know? Because cause she was sexy and young and female, uh-huh. you know. So uh-huh. people responded to her like that. And she was very, she was a good front person already. Wow. So 
Mike came up. Mike and Madonna approached me and said, "We think Madonna should. We think we should flip the script. Yeah, that Madonna, that Madonna should be our Debbie Harry." You know? Do you think? Do you think she had designs on that all along, or was she kind of just figuring well, it all out? I think when she played that Bose Space gig, because that's what it was called, it was a sort of pop-up okay. gig, and they used to play at uh-huh. VR3 and some other gigs that before I was a member of the group. But that was our big gig, That, and there was like hundreds of people, and the crowd went for her two songs more than the Gilroy's, as good as the mm-hmm. Gilroy's songs were, and they were good. Yeah. But they just responded, and yeah. I don't know. Seed was planted that night. I don't know night. whether Madonna started like, <clears throat> first. she first started talking to Mike about it, because they approached me as a, as a couple, you know, to say, like, mm-hmm. we think we should go to the Gilroy's and try to make Madonna the front person. You know, that, yeah. and, and are, so are, are you on board, Gary? Yeah. And I, said, okay. I said, yeah, because I agreed with them. I thought if she could be, she could be our Debbie Harry and we would do kind of a blondie thing because uh-huh. she had an obvious front person personality. She was as ambitious as anyone you have ever met in your life. Okay. And she well, wanted to do true. that. Yeah, she's kind of like messing with her relationship with Dan, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I guess she was trying to break that off. So we approached them and we uh, presented that as you know, we had this big band meeting and we all, us three, said we think Madonna should be the front person, and the Gilroys didn't go for it. Right. Because we wanted to flip it like Madonna would do the eight songs and you do the two. So yeah. naturally, they didn't go for that. It's like, no, this is our band. Fuck you. Sure. Excuse yeah. my French. No, you can say that. So then, we, okay. so then we reconnoitered, and then we went back and said, okay, how about 50-50? You, you, you guys do half the act, and Madonna does uh-huh. the other half. And they still said no. Hmm. So the three of us split off from the Gilroy brothers. Yeah. And we... Emmy and the... Em, it was, what is it? Well, I, it, no, we were called... No one knows about this, not even online or anything. Mike Monahan okay. totally fallen through the cracks. We actually called ourselves Madonna in the Sky. But, oh. <laughs> and we recorded four songs that are attributed to either Breakfast Club or Emmy online. You know, it's Wikipedia uh-huh. got it all wrong. Mike sure. Monahan has been disappeared. Oh, wow. And, you know, he died when he was 44 of lung cancer. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, and he was... He was a great guy. He was just getting his life together. He had two children. But to cut oh, back, so to, yeah. to cut back to the chase, uh, we the three of us had the gumption to split or whatever the word is. I don't yeah. want to say the balls, but you can. It was very daring to split off, and it was it was almost like betraying your friends or something. Sure, like, of course. It's kind of it's kind of like um, a shocking thing, but we yeah. we had presented as like. Fifty-fifty, take it or leave it, and they left it. Yeah. So Madonna started sort of going out with Mike at that time. Oh, and, uh, really? And we moved to Douglas. God, she went around. We, okay. She got around. Yeah, she. Yeah. Did. I don't mean that. I, you know, I'm I know. just saying she dated Dan. She dated Mike. She goes on mm-hmm. dates. Steve. Crazy. Yeah. I always tell people like, I did something much harder to do than to sleep with Madonna. I did, I did not sleep with Madonna. <laughs> it's, it's sort of cute and funny, but I actually did. I did have designs. I, I wanted Madonna to be my girlfriend. I would love to have been Christine to her Debbie Harry, but didn't work yeah. out personality-wise. Besides being okay. besides being very good-looking, 
Uh-huh. Uh huh. And and very, she, her personality was tremendous. She was funny. She was smart. So she's she, that girl in the room that all the guys are like gravitating towards. Yeah, I mean, right? there were times. There were times when we were rehearsing, and you would think you would she would like make cat you'd cat, make eye contact with her, but maybe uh-huh. she's on the drums and I'm on bass, and we're in uh-huh. a circle. We're circle, and everyone's like sort of intense on their sure. instrument and stuff. And then you you just like you you make eye contact with her, and she like you, it's like whoa. Yeah. And then the next day, yeah. find, then the next day, Mike would tell me like. Mike, you know, during the during the same song, like she, she was making eye contact with him too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And She's like, just electric, like, right? She's just yeah, sending out it was, this it was electricity. Yeah, because there's music now, playing. You, and uh, you're like all I mean, into the, you're jamming and you're playing music, sure. and, and like then you make eye contact and you kind of have a crush, you know? Yeah, she was she was very very sexy and and her, yeah. she, you know, and she had a great personality. And she's like and she five foot one or something strong. like that, right? She was an extrovert. I'm an introvert, right? Okay. So there's, uh-huh. there's that opposites attract thing from from my angle. I I was attracted right. to her, and she kind of like knew that, and she she kind of used that to the extent, you know. Yeah. Not. Sure. I'm not being cynical. No, I. She could... like she strung <laughs> me along a little bit because I had music talent. I can talent. completely she, see that. She couldn't. She couldn't break off from the Gilroys unless she had. Something to break yeah. off with, right? So me and Mike broke off with her. We were and then I started teaching her guitar. Okay. And she be, she became the front person. Someone had to play the guitar. I sure. Was, I, sure. I stayed on bass. Mike stayed on drums. Okay. And she started learning just bar chords. She was a real trooper. She was she practiced a lot. She was writing yeah. simple songs. She was learning how to write songs. Amazing. And it was just bar chords and stuff. And I was helping her. Were you guys? I mean. Did it ever? I know you had. I know you were crushing on her and stuff. Did it ever even get close? Was there ever kind of a night where, I don't know? Did she ever come cry on your shoulder? Was there a? Yeah. Can sure, you think I mean, of a particular night I where can, it was I like? I can. I can think of. I can think of individual yeah? nights and stuff, but it's a little bit. Sometimes it's painful to think back on these memories. But um, really, okay. Well, I don't want to make a, you feel pain. No, I, I'm I, just I, I, want to find the fun. It's a little silly because it's probably it's the kind of thing I remember well, but she probably has no memory of. But well, maybe there was there was one night once we moved into the city, we we, we played in this little town, Douglas, from where I grew up, and, then, and Mike lived there, and we we played in the garage, but the uh, the next the neighbors said you okay. can't do that, so we had to find a space to practice in. So that's when we went to the music building on Thirty Eighth Street and Eighth Avenue. We rented a we rented a room there. So now we were Manhattan based. She she kind of helped me get she got she got herself situated somewhere near the building, in a loft. You know, rented a room from some dude in the loft, and uh-huh. she she found me an apartment on East Seventh Street with uh, somebody that she knew who who had an extra bedroom. So we were all and Mike Mike still lived in Queens, but he traveled in. And he worked for Metropolitan Life Insurance, so he was he, okay. he worked a straight nine to fiver, and then he would come straight from work to to rehearse in the evenings. Right. And it was a grind, and he, and he didn't last long, and their relationship mm. started to fracture. So one day, you know, she, and she'd start ragging on him a little bit, like, you know, if his 
if the tempo slowed down, if she didn't think he was drumming good yeah. enough, she'd go, she'd go, Mike, Mike, and then eventually Mike threw up his hands and said, uh-huh. "I'm out of here," you know. So yeah. then it was then it was just the two of us. We had we had to get a drummer, we had to get a guitar player, a lead guitar player, blah blah blah. Before that happened, we we wanted a manager. So I had this I had this friend who had worked at the cellar door in in, in Washington D.C. and uh-huh. and he's a very smart guy. He ended up doing very well in the advertising business. We went to his apartment and I really wanted him. We all wanted him, but Mark said no. <laughs> Mark huh. simply said said no. I don't want to manage you, you know. Yeah. So he had a bad. chance to manage Madonna. You know, a few years. Oh my later. gosh, this guy! It's because he, he, she was too aggressive. She'd say, "Yeah, she I said see something that. like I, she said something like, I would drive over my grandmother with a Mack truck to be famous.' Madonna, really? really? Madonna wanted fame. If yeah. she got it through dancing, that would be fine. If she could get right. it through music, that'll be fine. She wanted to be famous. She had yeah. incredible. Drive. So that's real, right? That real. Was, and I and I and I kind of had that kind of drive too. But not well, I think anyone of, probably does in the beginning, right? When they're just starting yeah, out sure. in bands, and if, sure they're if imagining. You, if you, you pick know? a career like that, if you pick music or acting or dancing yeah. or anything in the arts, you, you know you want to make your mark. Yeah, you're hoping it leads to that, sure. But there's type. Okay. And she was a type A, you know. Like, yeah. Is that what they call it? She was super, yeah, super absolutely. Well, more than anyone I've ever met. <laughs> she's she was yeah, she's like the poster child for that. She was the poster child for Type A. Okay. And she was always on the phone, hunting down p- potential managers, hunting down potential lead guitarists, and that's when she called Stephen Bray in Detroit, who who she had known oh. in in Ann Arbor, and Stephen was a drummer, and he had gone to Berkeley College. So she called him and said. Hey, 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 Steve, you know, I have a group in New York. He was kind of totally shocked. I think they had gone mm-hmm. out even, like, before before she ever came to New York. I think they had they had been an item. I know that, that you know, everything says they dated, too. I don't know when in right. the history, but, yeah. They did, and they dated a little during during the New York era, too. He met her at some club in, in Ann Arbor or something, and he was a waiter or some shit like that. I don't okay, know. okay. And I think they, I think she had an attraction, you know, He's a tall, good-looking dude, you know, and yeah. So, and but, but she was just dancing then, so he was kind of shocked. She calls him from New oh. York, says, "I have a group. I'm in a group here. We come to New York and be my drummer, you know." So he, so he did. <laughs> wow. He came, he came to New York to be her brother. So it was just me, me, Madonna, and Stephen. It was a, 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 a trio. Yeah. Did you hit it off with Stephen pretty quickly? I loved Steve right away. Good. Yeah. Good. And he okay. He immediately took the reins as a um, as the leader, the uh, leader, the arranger. You know, uh huh. I would write the bass lines, but he he would he worked with Madonna on her songs and the structure yeah. of them. He's like clearly that. super talented. Yeah. Yeah. Good drummer too. Good drummer. Yeah. Yeah. And Good. at that time, right. he was like getting in on the earliest. At this time, drum machines were just being formed, like mm-hmm. little rolling drum machines, like click, 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 you know. Right. And I hated yeah. them, like because I like real drums. Right. But he was sure. he was fascinated with that technological angle. Okay. Okay. And this is like the, the this is 1980 and 81 and that kind of thing. 
Okay. So he, so he's, you know, gradually the drum machines got better and better, and sure, and synthesizers with the started happening, and yeah, like so. But he he okay. helped hire the guitar, the lead guitarist, and so we had, and we turned from a threesome to a foursome. Okay. I mean, I heard a rumor once, mm-hmm. and this is I've never seen this. And this is, I will admit, I'm asking, I'm at, this is a salacious question. I heard a rumor right. once that she and Susan Sarandon dated that I very early on. That was, that, I, I ducked out, I, I'm, I'm totally pre-fame, pre-fame. Madonna. Well, that's when I heard this happen. That's why I'm asking. Because, you know, if it there's did, that. I wasn't aware period, of it. You weren't, okay. No. I, and the reason, I mean. For one, I think that's interesting, but also for two, I'm trying to kind of envision who mm-hmm. your circle of friends might be. You know what I'm saying? Like right. you're in a punk band, you're in New York, you're all artists. Right. This is the late 70s. So you're, you could be, well, I mean, I know she 80s. dated Basquiat by the, time, by the time we went to the music building, it was the early 80s. Okay. Um, I think when she was out in Queens and Corona and the synagogue and all, she was fairly okay. isolated out there. So if she had a circle of friends, it was mostly just us. Okay. And, okay. And, and Dan, and you know, and maybe she had some okay. friends in the city. Maybe she, Dan and Dan and her used to busk. They would like dress up all in white and go on the mm-hmm. subways and have a pig nose amplifier, you know, and, and yeah. just like just like busk, which I I never had the guts to do. <laughs> yeah, I never. I I've never busked. Right. So okay. Uh, yeah, the reason I'm I'm asking that is because I'm envisioning this person who is at the heart or at the at the center of a really of what we know now to be a very interesting artistic culture in New York. There with was Susan Brandon, Andy Warhol, Basquiat, Max's Kansas City, CBGB's yeah. Television, Debbie Harry, and I'm all wondering what your relationship is to all of that stuff. Are you well, out we, in Queens uh, hearing about it, or are you? Kind of circling Absolutely. in the so, in this social circle a little bit. No, not so much. We were out in Queens even when I was with Acme Band, pre Madonna, even coming okay. to New York. We we did that. We aimed. We got the Village Voice, and we would look and see who's playing at CBGBs and Maxis. Those were the two um, holy grails. You wanted to play at CBGBs or Maxis. Yeah, it wasn't easy. Yeah. It wasn't easy because there were a lot of yeah. other bands doing the same thing. So we were kind of like. A, a mini generation behind. We were, we were behind the Ramones, Television, Blondie. They had grabbed the golden ring, and we wanted to yeah. grab the, the brass ring, whatever the expression okay. is. Okay, sure. So, yeah. but we we didn't go in go in and see those groups. Mm-hmm. We weren't hanging at CBs. We were we were we were practicing our own stuff because mm-hmm. we we were a little bit of a different vibe than them. We were kind of funnier. We were kind of more more yeah. kinks like more kinksy or more beatly. Uh, with kind of funny lyrics, we, we had a sense of humor. Okay. And and like um, we did go in. And see, I mean, we saw Blondie. I mean, I I saw Talking Heads at NYU. You right. know, when they when they did Talking Heads '77, and mm-hmm. I bought. I was aware of the Ramones from okay seeing that seeing them on Don Kirshner or something or whatever. Sure. Okay. Uh, I loved Suicide, and I ended up meeting Alan. Yeah, Vader. there you go. Stuff okay. Like that. Okay. And, but we weren't like so you're aware of these people, but you're not we necessarily aware. shoulder then, to shoulder with them until we finally started. No, we were behind. We were behind. Yeah. Okay. You know, we were trying to catch up. 
Okay. Trying to be what trying to be what, just get a weekend gig at Max's or CB's. And there were other clubs okay. we played, so we played the other clubs. And then we finally did start getting Hilly Crystal booked us. We start yeah. you start on a Tuesday night, you know. Uh-huh. You play a few gigs, you move up to Thursday night and eventually Who we else got, was playing uh, CB's that t- around that time? Who are, are were there any bands playing that well, the B- that we would know? The B-52s were all of a sudden. Good, okay. We finally got our we finally got our first weekend gig at CBGB's. This is okay. this is the Acme band. This is pre Madonna. Oh, oh, interesting. And so, okay. so we're in the we're in the little stupid dressing room behind the stage at CBGB's and B-52s and like Cindy, will Cindy Wilson? Can I borrow uh-huh. your amp? Can I borrow your amp for my keyboard and stuff like that? <laughs> we didn't know they had the whole. They had Max's booked for the next week solid. We just oh, wow. another band. We just happened to yeah. be paired with them. I had never heard of them. And so there was this discussion, like, who wants to open? Who's going to open and who's going to... No you know? way. And so we go. And they're at the, pack. the club was packed. There's like 300 people uh-huh. there. Wow. And so we're going like, oh, oh, we'll, we'll close. We'll close. Uh, right? Uh, right? We'll be the headliners. Sure. And we're wearing like, we're, we're decked out in hockey uniforms. Literally, because we we, really? we we played hockey, so we're all decked out in our hockey uniforms. Like, and the B-52s were going like we thought we were weird, that kind of thing. Yeah. So they wow. we decide that they'll open. Little did we know, everyone was there to see the B-52s. Yeah. Their reputation <laughs> preceded them, so they no played way. to a packed house, and they laid they did that they did that first album and sounded exactly like the album. You know? Oh. I mean, it was perfect. Wow. It was perfect. Me and Dan. So they play Rock Lobster there yeah, among those 300 people. Oh, my gosh. So they probably started out with Planet Claire, and they ended yeah. up with Rock Lobster. And they got a thunderous reception and an encore and all that. And as soon as wow. B-52s were off, everyone split. <laughs> so you're you're <laughs> so playing to, like, the last. Like, the drunk guys people. who didn't realize that anything was people. over. Yeah, it was like <laughs> yeah. a, a major career mistake. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Rough. But anyway, so. Okay. That was so that. let's but, jump ahead a little bit. So yeah, then, sure. okay, so Madonna, so Emmys, you guys have worked. You're, we weren't well, tell me about when Madonna mm-hmm. starts to take off as her own thing and when she leaves you guys behind. What happened was. We had this room. We split it with a group called Buddy Love, and somehow, even though we had signed the lease first, Buddy Love screwed us out of the room. All of a sudden, we were thrown out of our room, and we had to find another. And and when you speak of circle of friends and who you hung out with, the music mm-hmm. building was twelve floors of 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 punk bands and stuff. Oh, interesting. You know? And, and yeah. some, you know, and you would see Alan Vega there, or you would see. Uh, yeah. You would see uh, David Johansson, and oh. you'd see Melba Moore. You know, so there were some wow. there were some studios. So okay. The, so those are the kind of people you got to know and be friends with. Other bands, the Senders, yeah. you know, various other bands. Sure. Uh, and so, when we got kicked out of our room, it was just me, Steve, and Madonna. We had to find another room. So it was a guy named Brian Sims. And he had this wonderful sound system, these big, gigantic speakers. So we kind of auditioned him so that we would, like, move into that room and add Brian to the band. 
mm-hmm. and and we so we kind of auditioned Brian. Okay. And, and and they asked what I thought. I thought he was good. He we sounded like we were going for a pretenders type of vibe. Okay. Okay. And more than punk, more like just a a rock and band. And he he was he was good. He's a little sloppy on guitar, and I wasn't the greatest bass player either. So we did that. We moved to, to to this room with Brian Sims, very good sound system, and we just started rehearsing. And these are things that are on the internet as first time out of Brooklyn, whatever. Okay. First time out of Manhattan or something. Crap. Oh, wow. for, like a, for like a month or something. 
Right. You know, and she used to have like popcorn for dinner, you know, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. We were we were really <laughs> poor. So she must have seen Camille in the hall and tried and give given her a demo tape and it got Camille interested so that Camille showed up at Max's that night. Uh-huh. And Madonna lit the house on fire. She was just really yeah. good. She literally was there's these long tables coming out from the front and of the stage. She's like walking She's not the table. best singer in the world. So this all has to have just been presence. Yeah, it was like pure and like charisma, sport, personality, what do they call it? You know, charisma, uh, force of personality or whatever the expression yeah. is. Okay. I mean, she was but she was she did have a high voice, not the greatest voice, but yeah. her showmanship was excellent. Yeah. That that okay. particular night. Yeah, and, and it uh, sold it. So before you knew it, like the next day, just like I had predicted, sort of the next yeah. day, these guys, these guys come in. Brian comes in, our guitar player, with a friend of his, and they go, "Did you hear? Did you hear what happened?" And I go, uh-huh. "No." And they go, "Madonna's, uh, Madonna's leaving the band. She's gonna, Camille's signing. Camille is signing Madonna, and but Camille doesn't want the band." Yeah. So that was that. Yeah. I I I acted cool and casual like eh, Sure. That's life, you know. Yeah. Inside. As the the days went on, like I started getting pissed off. Like, hey, I remembered all of a sudden. Hey, a month ago, I said, I said, I don't want to rehearse for a month if we're just going to split up the next day. And that's what happened. But anyway, so when when was the last time you saw Madonna? Well, I introduced Stephen Bray to the to the breakfast to the to the Gilroy brothers, and we became breakfast a new the new iteration of Breakfast Club. Right. That's on MCA. So Madonna used to come to some to our vi- of our video shoots out in out in L.A. She came to our a video shoot for for a song called Kiss oh. and Tell. She didn't like walk away from the Breakfast Club, never, and then you never saw her again. You saw her before, and you saw her after yeah. the ascendancy, basically. So we had a little bit of a rough breakup, so it wasn't comfortable for yeah. me. Yeah, I believe it. Well, of I, course, I kind of get wouldn't be for anyone. Time. Yeah, kind of like the anger built up in me, and like I confronted her in the hall of the music building and said, "Hey, remember? You know, yeah. remember when I said last month that we, sh- you know?" So I was, I was angry yeah. at her. I suppressed it for a few days, but 
Yeah. So we did have an uncomfortable kind of meeting yeah, in the elevator it. shaft or whatever. Yeah. And she kind of just turned around and walked off. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Right. She's, off, she's off on her own trajectory at that point anyway, you know. Right. And then she went um, to the whole Camille Barbone era with getting studio cats. See, I, I don't blame her for quitting. Camille got yeah. her a, a studio apartment in the Upper West Side. She had mm. 24-hour access to, to a recording studio. Camille, okay. was hiring, Camille was hiring session cats, you know. Yeah. She trying to, trying to like, trying to make her into the next Pat Benatar. Sure, yeah, meanwhile, okay. Meanwhile, Stephen Bray and her, because Steve's not even in that band, but they're they're starting to collaborate on R&B-ish dance music. So he's collaborating with her as he's also the drummer in The Breakfast Club? Yes, and he also okay. became the drummer, and he also eventually prevailed upon Camille to make him the drummer for that group. But he liked, For the he Madonna really group that like went him. out and played Borderline and everything? Uh not not no she wasn't she hadn't gotten there yet there was an in between oh, okay. period where okay. she would play she would play clubs and then she eventually dumped that band cuz her yeah. and Steve got their own sort of more R&B-ish thing okay and got away wasn't she a big deal at Dance Ateria for a little while before yeah that's where like she bought her tape yeah to uh, to okay. this guy Mark Caymans and it was a tape that Steve had worked with her on and okay. it, has a song, it has a song called Everybody. Everybody, yeah. That's that the one, first, right? Right, and Steve had arranged that. And Mark came in, totally stole it from him. Totally stole the arrangement, but he added, like, one little glockenspiel riff or Oh, something. no way. Steve ended up in court about it. See, so he and Madonna had, like, court, court shit oh, going geez. on. Oh, no. Oh, and wow. Like, uh, you know, but then they, they got over it, and then they okay. went on to, to, to do... You know, he wrote, he wrote, he wrote uh, into the groove. And yep, that's he wrote, he wrote one of my favorite he, he, he produced Papa Don't Preach. And he yeah, wrote, he wrote Express Yourself, nice. Angel, and things like that. So, goodness, Steve was Steve's Steve, doing all right. Steve, like, <laughs> Steve becomes a millionaire. While yeah, he's still, while he's just playing with the Gilroys and me, and, and, and we call that Breakfast Club again. Yeah, and that, and that, so we started. And we started changing from a, a thrash band into a into a more you know into a more Madonna type of yeah R&B it, it was Steve Ray. He would bring his tracks, and then Dan would write me- melody and lyrics on top of his tracks, and so that's that's what sort of became okay. You know, Breakfast Club. So you know, Madonna's first album comes out in '83. That's really yeah. when she launches. What I've always been curious about, though, is that. I mean, 10 years are passing here before your album comes out. So you guys are a punk band in the late 70s, basically, and her album comes out in 83, and it's still another four years before you guys put out an album. What are you doing That's, during that well, whole time? We got signed to Z Records, which was a, a small, an independent label run by a guy named Michael Zilka, who was a British dude who was from a rich oil family, the, Zil- mm. the Zilkas. He was sort of like Chris Blackwell at Island, you know, had yeah. Island. And Blackwell came from the rich English Blackwell family. Right. He got to have a record company for a toy. And Michael Zilka, yeah. he had a okay. record company for a toy. Who else was on and, Z? Uh, Z was uh, Kid Creole and the Coconuts. Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah. Lydia, okay. Lydia Lunch. Mm-hmm. 
was not was. Oh, nice. Don was go. became such a big name in the business, sure. of course. Yeah. And those are the those are the three I recall okay. off, off okay. the top of my head. There's there are a few others and stuff. Okay, sure. It was a, it was a good little label, and Breakfast Club got signed to that, and we recorded a whole album, and Chris Blackwell and Island were supposed to distribute, but mm. Zilka and Blackwell got into a kerfuffle and. Uh, so it, all we did was we, we put out a single called Rico Mambo. version of Rico Mambo that ends up on your one album? It's, it's similar, but okay. actually it's, I like the Z, I like the Z one better. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. Huh. But so we didn't, that didn't come out. That was a big disappointment. And yeah. Then we got re-signed by the same A&R person, Kate, Kate Hyman, who had signed us to Z Records. She was now at MCA. We made a, a video, a homemade video of, of Kiss and Tell. Mm-hmm. And that helped us get signed. I think it was it was a good oh, little man. homemade video. Yeah. And so we were offered contracts by both Capitol Records and MCA. So one, so they decided to fly us out to L.A. to interview. You know, one weekend so we would spend uh-huh. Saturday at Capitol. We'd spend Sunday at MCA, and we would decide which one to sign with. It was pretty exciting. So, wow. So we went wow. out to L.A. Those yeah, days are fun. over. <laughs> Yeah, man. We went to the Capitol Records building and that round, you know, crazy building. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And we we were sh- we were you know given the royal treatment, and shown around. Oh wow. Bob Seger was in the basement recording, and oh, brings man. down. Oh, hi Bob. This is this group Breakfast Club. Huh? <laughs> like he he could have killed yeah. us. He was, he was like, right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm in the middle of something here. <laughs> you know. I'm writing Shakedown for the uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2 movie. Leave me alone. Plus, pl- okay. plus they, came, they came from Detroit, too. Steve and Madonna. Oh, yeah. But, Good but point. they hated Bob Seger. Oh, really? For some, uh, reason, for some reason, they hated Bob Seger. So. I could see that. They don't strike me as Seger fans. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that was fun. Okay. And we met and then another guy. And then we got – Paul McCartney was had gone back to Capitol at that point. So uh-huh. the, the vice president or whatever – he says, you want to hear a song? And he, so he plays us 
McCartney's single. You know, it's, it's pretty heady stuff oh, for us. Goodness, yeah, of course. He's playing, he's playing McCartney's single that isn't out yet. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And the next day we go to MCA, and we're like with Irving Azoff, mm-hmm. who you know was, as you probably know, manager of the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac yep. and all that. And he was now at this point in time president of of of, of MCA Records. So yeah. they give us a whole thing. We ended up signing with MCA. Uh-huh. And the rest is history. Yeah, the first <laughs> album finally comes out. Now, during those years... Finally, those, yeah. Took a whole, yeah. Uh, took, a, took a lot of... They gave us carte blank because Steve was powerful. Yeah. Steve was a millionaire already. He didn't give a shit. Yeah, he didn't need... Me. He, you know? So, yeah. And they thought, like, this guy's a hit machine because he had... Sure. He had already he already had into the groove Papa Don't Preach under his belt, you know, and wow. Angel and things like that. B sides from Like a Virgin. Yeah. He was, he was a proven hit maker. So, so did they um, I I would imagine they would have coveted you guys then because of Steven and he and you guys come on and you do I mean, that album, every song on there could be a a single at that time, you know. Yeah. Um, right, I think I, we picked. I right love that album so much. It does get a little. Oh, thank you. I do, yeah. It, 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 the second half becomes a little filled with filler to me right. personally. But I agree. Um, I agree. The first like four, five, six songs are just. Yeah, I like. I love it. I, that's one of my favorite albums of all time. It's one of my go-to really? comfort food albums. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. I'm not. I'm not declaring no. that it's, you know, a masterpiece of musical know, anything. Yeah. I'm just saying for what it was at the time, yeah. and it makes me so happy and nostalgic to this day. I play it all the time. It's a good dance record. It had, I think the lyrics are a little better than the usual. Um, they're a little more clever than the usual dance music lyrics. So yeah. That's what, I, that's what I liked about it. And Steve, yeah. Steve's a very good producer, although we had other yeah. producers and they really gave us carte blanche. We we over recorded the thing. We left a shitload on the on the on the cutting room floor. That's crazy. Stuff like that. And it was hard to That's mix crazy. them. It was like huh. trying we had like five people trying to mix right on track. And this guy the guy who ended up doing it said it's like trying to rope a snake. You know, it was really, really <laughs> hard because we we over recorded. We had people mm-hmm. like Nile Rogers come in for a day. And Really? And and, and, and the, the keyboards on right on track is is the, the is the guy from Parliament Funkadelic? I forget his name. Really? Yeah. Bernie Worrell? Yeah. He's the he's the really? keyboard player on Right on Track. No way. Yeah, Bernie Worrell. He came in for one day, and he and he knocked that out. You know. Oh, I mean, Nile Rogers was on the cutting room floor. You know what I'm you know what I'm saying? We, no way. We spent a million. We spent. Uh, it's embarrassing to say, but we spent four hundred thousand dollars. How many how many groups? Spent four hundred thousand dollars on their first album. That is crazy. I know it was crazy. Crazy. And we were like, wow. Treated. We go into five star restaurants and staying at great hotels. Yeah. We got to go around the United States to you know just to promote the album. We weren't we weren't a touring band at all. At this point, we're yeah. just a just a thing, a recording thing. Did you play to, Did you play shows? Did you play concerts or go no. on tour or anything? No, we really. Did. <laughs> Never. Yeah, we did. You were just we a, like a TV, studio concoction. There was, there was oh, that's what I, okay. Time, by this time, Steve is such a techno geek. Yeah. That like everything's on synthesizers. Even sure. the bass is like I'm doubling the bass, but it's on synth two, and it's right. all on computers right. and stuff. 
So we would like go. We played at the Hollywood Palace. We played that. That was you know. But but a lot of the shit, you know. Were you ever on like the Tonight Show we or were, David we were Letterman playing, or anything? But it was like a lot that? of it was. Uh, we didn't really have a, an official keyboard player. Uh, so like, but Dan always insisted on singing live, which I respected a lot. Uh-huh. So we we do Showtime at the Apollo. We did like the first taping uh-huh. of that. Okay. Showtime at the Apollo. We didn't. We weren't on the first week. We they they saved us for the third week. And Dan's a little out of breath. They didn't put uh-huh. reverb on his voice and stuff. So mm. there's some. But we 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 played some gigs, but they weren't really like. Yeah. Live. You were not a, a touring entity. You're not just like a point. collection we, of people. Yeah. We, we okay. intended to be. But we yeah. just wanted to get the record out and see how it did, and then we would get it together and tour behind it. Yeah, but it, but it never. Well, really it did happened. well. Do you know how many? Do you know to this day how many copies it sold of that album? Yeah. Did it go platinum? No. Didn't. No. That's the. It sold like three hundred thousand. Really? That's yeah. all. Yeah, I know. That's that's why. I would have thought maybe half that, a mil, but that, three hundred thousand. That's why Irving Azoff got fired. Probably. Oh no! They looked at the books and said. What? You spent four hundred thousand dollars. Not only yeah. that, the video cost two hundred thousand dollars. Yes. Yeah. And the next video cost a hundred thousand dollars. Oh and my then gosh. Kept, and then the one after that was forty thousand. I shouldn't say all this stuff. <laughs> no, that's I, this I, is I, what I try to focus on on here. But I, this is perfect. I'm probably, I'm probably if, if if my bandmates heard me saying this shit, they'd go, "Why are you, why are you telling that shit to the world, <laughs> well, Gary?" That's the yeah. kind of stuff I want to know. So yes, if any of the Gilroys are listening, if I'd I had gotten you guys on here, I would have asked you the shit. same question. No, it's good. Maybe, good. This will be, maybe this will be the kind of shit that I'll ask you to not. To not <laughs> maybe, maybe I hope not. But I'm just—I'm um, a very—I'm a very truthful kind of a dude. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's that's crazy. I remember. Um, I probably shouldn't admit this. I stole that CD. Um, <laughs> I remember very well. At, uh, at lunchtime in high school, going to uh, Raspberry Records with my friends really? in Salt Lake City. Yeah, Salt Lake City, Raspberry Records. Salt Lake City. And, uh, yeah, well, that's where I grew up. Mormon. You grew up in Mormon, yeah. huh? Uh huh, sure. Were you a Mormon? Uh, yeah, still am, yeah. Wow. Kind of. Still am? Yeah. Yeah, so. Cool, man. Um, <laughs> so, I, uh. You and the But Osmonds, yeah, so me and my. Right? <laughs> what's that? You and the Osmonds. What'd you say? You and the Yeah, Osmonds. I know. I know. No. Um, That's cool. That must be, you must have a very interesting story growing up in Salt Lake City. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite they a culture. To, they allowed you to listen to to dance records. Yes, it's not. It's not. Uh, even though Footloose was filmed in Utah, it is <laughs> yeah. not like Footloose. So yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I remember lunchtime with my friends. We went to we went to uh, Raspberry Records there in Salt Lake City, and I was. I was looking for CDs I was going to buy, and I saw yours on the end cap. And instead uh-huh. of buying it, I slipped it in under my sweatshirt, <laughs> and I left. Uh, I've and I, I, I've been, <laughs> I feel that's bad. That's funny, man. That's funny. And and then in the you, you I'm saying them. this, you them. I know I do. That's why I'm saying this because. And then <laughs> in the '90s, I decided I didn't like '80s music anymore, and so I sold all of those CDs. <laughs> and now that's pretty much all I want to listen to. And so a few years ago, I bought it back, but I bought it used. So as much as I love you, I have <laughs> never – I did buy Percolate, the new EP, recently. Um, oh. I have never com- – oh, you know, I have not contributed to the Breakfast Club coffers like I should have. <laughs> well, you it's know, not commensurate with my fandom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 
just stealing was good enough. That was good. Well, was just, that's just, you know. But yeah, and maybe I can turn on some I don't people know, through this. You know, we're, we're on all this shit that I don't understand. Spotify, Spotify, sure. Apple Music. I, I, like I say, yeah. I'm dumb about that. The whole, I'm naive about the yeah. whole thing. Right. I mean, Percolate was exciting for me because they put Mirage on, which I wrote. Yeah, you wrote that. I've been walking through this desert for too long a time. second but yeah so let's talk about percolate first though so you wrote mirage, I wrote mirage. now these five some, songs some all of which are so good the best of them are the best of the songs is mirage so like, wow <laughs> hey nice nice some, some i like all five of those songs a lot they are good those were all leftovers i'm taking right. it. i take it you now know, were they, they they were from after i quit actually oh okay they, and they randy jackson of all people replaced me yeah, I was going to ask you about judge. that. Exactly. Right. Is he? Right. Do, do you not play on anything then on Percolate? I didn't play on Percolate. I quit the band. And Randy Jackson is playing on that stuff. Yeah. Oh I mean, probably, wow. Probably it's the same. It's either him or the or or, or Steve synth bass. Yeah, line. synth bass. Okay. Or, but I, I don't really okay. know. I used to have the album that I, I I misplaced the cassette they gave me. Oh. So I haven't really. Okay, I love it. Um, is it good? You like Percolate's pretty good. Yeah, right? I do. I I love yeah. every song on it. Yeah. And there's going to be another. I'm down like, for whatever you guys do. I don't know. Left. Yeah, it's it's. I'm glad you like it. It's good. Yeah. Steve and Dan have a good uh, good thing going. I think. Now you there's know. always everything I read. There's like a, a second album was recorded but never came out. Well, that's are are the songs from Percolate Perc- were those yeah. part of it? Okay. That's what okay. that is. That's what that I is. I didn't know if at some point a second album would finally make the light of day as well. No, that's what Percolate is apparently. Okay. Okay. Good. And okay. I, feel, I so, think they're going to do with the other half of it, you know, a yeah. few months down the line or something. Percolate too. Okay. Fine. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's buying the darn thing or anything. Well, I did. I shelled yeah, out five right. bucks. You for made that. up. You made up. So for there that, you go. Yeah. <laughs> for stealing the first album. Yes. Exactly. Um, so. <laughs> Now the first, so right on track comes out. You guys are you got the chickens in the video. It becomes a big yeah. deal. I think it hits number seven or eight in the top ten in 1987. The only other single I remember is "Kiss and Tell." Uh, right. My favorite song on that album is uh, "Never Be the Same." Or, uh, I like that a lot too. 
That's my favorite. But that was a single, but I don't remember ever hearing that on the radio or anything. We made a video for Never Be the Same with that 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 sort of oh. nur- that nursing home thing. I don't know if I've ever yeah, even seen the video. Seen that one? Yeah. I didn't know. I'll look yeah, it up. Yeah, we made a video for for there's a there's a pretty good video. Okay. Also uh, directed by uh it was always directed by Jeff Stein, who is the director mm. who won the first video music awards oh. for you might he, he for you might think by the That's car. Right. Yeah. You know, like Rick Ocasek's on the head of a the head of a fly and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was Jeff true. Stein. So we, Okay. We were like looking for a director, and we liked his sense of humor. He had done Tom okay. Petty and the Heartbreakers with that Alice in Wonderland video, where mm-hmm. you know. And all oh, that I shit. love that one. Yeah. Right. And he had, done, okay. he had done hard with like the uh, these these dreams. These you know? dreams. Yep. So he had okay. a, he had a rep. He was, uh-huh. he was the enfant, and he and he directed. The kids are all right. The Who movie. That's right. That's what all I. Right. That's what I was going to say. Yes. So he was sort yeah. of on front terrible. Yeah, and, I got and it. So okay. We, we got him, and he was expensive and stuff, but we managed to get, you know, MTV liked the first video, that whole Pee Wee Playhouse thing. Yeah, that's and, it. Uh, we were on heavy right. rotation. We were on, we were on For eight sure. or nine times a day. Yeah. So that helped our 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 single sell. Our album sales weren't so great, but our singles sold pretty that's well. Too bad. Right. I mean, then what? Uh, listen, why did hey, it not continue? You know, three hundred thousand people—that's—that's that's nothing to sneeze. sneeze oh, I know. Either. That's great. I know. You know but, I know. But we wanted. You know, we 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 were hoping it would do better. Well, and everything. You know, you've got Stephen there, who's now, like you said, uh, super successful. You got a record label that's going nuts for you. Yeah. You've got every song. You know, half the songs on that album would make great singles at that time. And I'm surprised. Was it now? Kiss and Tell comes out, and that well, barely misses a, the top forty. That's true. It was on V, and it was on VH1 as a video, uh-huh. uh, rather than being on MTV. It was on VH1, which was you know pretty close. Yeah. You know. Sure. But but it didn't. It made uh, it made the um, adult contemporary charts or something. Uh, but it was okay. It was actually, I think it was a tactical error to follow up our dance track with sort of yeah. this ballady thing. Yeah, we should have yeah. followed it with "Never Be the Same." Yeah, you know something upbeat and dancey again. That, yeah. So we, but we all made that mistake. We we sat down and what should we put out second? And even against our manager's advice, so we because we really liked "Kiss and Tell." Yeah. So we put it out, and it was you should you, should, you don't want to throw too many curves at the public, you know? Right. Right. Like they, they 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 think of you as a dance band with this funny video. Right. Some people hated that video, but but a lot of people liked it too. Sure. And like, yeah. Then we then we throw then we throw this like goofy black and white video uh-huh. with with a ballad. It just wasn't a good follow up. Kind yeah. of kind of stopped our momentum. But yeah. We ended, up, we ended up doing two more videos. Never be the same. And Rico Mambo. Rico mm-hmm. Mambo's. I I've never found it on the. I can't I can't understand what happened to that video. Huh, we we made know. this pretty pretty cool video in in in, in Martha's Vineyard. And like we were hanging out, one of the Beastie Boys was hanging out, and James Taylor's brother Livingston Taylor. Sure. Come, Judy Belushi. People were. We had a little buzz then. People were coming down. Really. We were like filming it on the ocean, you know, on the on the beach in Martha's Vineyard wow. and stuff. So it was kind of fun. There was a lot of that's amazing. A lot of fun stuff like that. Those were the days. 
I got to go to Europe to like eleven countries in Europe, where we Amazing. did like our lip. We call it the lip sync tour. Yep, yep. I've heard of those. Yeah. So, so, so why did you leave? Why did you leave, and why did Randy come in? I'm too proud, I guess. Yeah. One one day the Gilroys came to my apartment. I lived I lived in an apartment in Flushing. I had an I had set up my own home studio and everything. Beautiful eight track studio, like five cents and blah blah blah. And they come over one day and they go, Steve thinks you have to tighten up on your bass playing, you know that kind of thing. Oh. Uh-huh. And, and like, so I just reacted like, oh, it, with pride, prideful stupidity. Yeah. I, I just, I said, oh yeah, really? Steve thinks that? <laughs> well, then I quit. Oh no. I, I quit on the spot. I was too yeah. proud. To, I was too proud. Like, what do you mean, Steve? Don't be dissing my bass plan. Right. You right. Know, I I I introduced I was the link between the Gilroy brothers and sure and Steve. So for the Gilroy yeah. to come over with this message from Steve, because their egos took off a little bit, frankly. You yeah, know, you know it happens. Well, so and I, you're replaced I, and by and Randy I also, Jackson. I was like writing my own shit by then. Oh, were was, you? Oh, yeah, interesting. I, I'm I'm a very good songwriter. But oh, I, good! Wow. But I don't know how to I don't know how to get it out in the world. Sort of. Yeah. But I was I was really feeling my oats as a songwriter. I was saying, I, was saying, I don't need you. I don't need to be disrespected like this. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, in retrospect, it was a silly move. Well, it didn't end up mattering that much because they didn't last much longer. Well, but that is a shame. That, that's what they even say. Like, I mean, obviously, Randy Jackson's a better bass player than I am, but there's something to be said for chemistry. Sure. So whatever chemistry that 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 formation in the group had. Yeah, I was I was part of it, and yeah, definitely. By then, and also like our A and R person who had signed us to both Z and MCA, she quit. She 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 quit the band. Mm. She went off to Chrysalis and blah blah blah. And Irving Azoff got fired, probably yeah. because they looked at the books of Breakfast Club. So oh, Al man. Teller, Al Taylor came from Columbia to become the president of the MCA. So we had no. They had no for their second album. They didn't have allies. They yeah. didn't have an A and R person. They did, they had a new president of the company, so they recorded right. a second album, but they didn't release it. Now was Drive My Car on that second album? That's the only other thing I remember right. from the License to Drive soundtrack, right?
Yes, I, I, and I was gone by then. Oh, you were? Yeah, there's a little video. That I, I remember when, the, I, when I, I saw it on TV. I've seen I was like, video since then. Damn, you know, I should be in that video. That was stupid <laughs> to quit. That's that's when I kind of think. That's thinking like, that was stupid to quit. You know. Was Randy in that video? No, it was just the three. I don't remember. The three, okay. the Gilroy's and Bray. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. I kind of, I you know, I kind of like felt like I had been yeah. stupid at that point, but. Well. That's who I now, am, man. No, <laughs> no. But one thing I am curious about, though, is that it doesn't, correct me if I'm wrong, it's hard mm-hmm. sometimes to find really hard factual information on some of the bands that I bring on here because I'm more interested in the kind of obscure guys, you know, where mm-hmm. there's not always a lot of stuff out there. Sure. But I don't see a lot of lot more credits from you or the Gilroy brothers. It seems right. like everyone just kind of stopped after that. Or did you do more things? Did you well, join other bands? Did you I, guys, kept on, you did. I kept on writing, and I kept on getting better as a songwriter. But I'm like... Did people record your I'm stuff? Like, I'm, a, I'm a real... No, I, I can't... I'm a bedroom artist. I don't know, whatever that means. Oh, My life okay. kind of went off the rails a little bit. Oh, no. A little bit of a, little bit of a train wreck kind of a thing, but I, I won't go into detail. But it was very colorful. Okay. It was, it was very colorful. I stayed in Manhattan. Immediately after the Breakfast Club, or... Did it last a yeah, long time? Yeah, you know, even during Breakfast Club, I started going oh. out with Kate Hyman's mother. <laughs> that you might, did? Uh, yeah, and I ended up, and I stayed with her for 26 years. No. And we lived on 23rd Street between 9th and 10th, a block the away. The A&R rep that, did, that brought you, that fought so hard for you, you started dating her mom? Right, we met at a Christmas oh. party in 1986. So, wow. And she, was, and she was amazing, you know, she was just Ellie was the best thing that ever happened to me. Forgive me, was she much older than you? Yeah, 19 years older. Oh, my gosh. She she used to be, I hope Kate never hears this stuff. Kate hates me now, by the way. Oh. Uh, She introduced, she's the one who called, she called my apartment and said, you know, because I had met Ellie at the Christmas party, and she called up the next day and said, my mom asked if I could get, get your phone number. (laughs) <laughs> and it was also cute. It was also cute uh-huh. though, and everything. I'm like, no little way. did you know, little did yeah. you know that we would end up being partners for 25 years. Wow. And, she and what, when did that end? That was, that, that was a show business family. See, Ellie was... I don't know much about them. Well, Ken Hyman, her, Kate Hyman's father, Ken Hyman, produced The Dirty Dozen, Lolita. Oh. He's a big Hollywood... His, oh. his his father Elliot Hyman started Seven Arts, then, oh. and then then it became Warner Brothers Seven Arts, and then you know so like yeah she was she was Mrs Warner Brothers for a while, wow but they they divorced Ellie's like I could go on for ten hours sure. about Ellie she of course she lived and she knew everybody she knew Sam Davis Jr and Michael she had wow. anecdote after anecdote she was just aghast to be with. And, she was and you guys were together all yeah. that time. I lived with her in a co-op on 23rd Street. I used to see Debbie Harry. <laughs> yeah. Tom Verlaine. They both lived in London, oh, Paris. Tom Verlaine. Oh, goodness. Right. Love it. Wow. Now, so, I mean, were you guys super rich? I mean, forgive me for asking no, she, such a point-blank she, question. She had, a, you know, divorced from, from Ken. Okay, so, so she, he was she, the rich she one. Got, she actually got... 
She actually got kind of a lousy deal settlement in a way, but she did. They, she Ellie lived in London for thirty years in 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 Mayfair, so they had a house in Mayfair. Huh? Sounds like a Warren Zevon song. It so kind of does. Kind of inherited. <laughs> His hair was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> So there's like she, she she sort of inherited that house, and so she got kicked out of London. <laughs> That's a long story, but she was actually she had to leave the country. Uh, she, 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 there was some crazy like scandal thing that made the front pages. Oh no way! And, uh, and she also like lived in Bulgaria for seven years. Ellie's like oh an endless endless amount of fascination. You know, and that's why I yeah. fell in love with. That's why I fell in love with her, and she was beautiful too. Yeah. On top of but like now, she did she pass Bill, away? Is that what mainly? Yeah, is that what, yes. Okay. Yeah, April tenth, nineteen. I mean, twenty thirteen. Wow. So, so, so you're flailing. kind of on your own. Yeah. I've been, I've been flailing ever since. That's but tough, she, man. But she, she took care of me in a, in a way, you know. She wasn't yeah. super rich, but she was. But she was comfortable. Okay. And did you? What have you? I mean, have you worked? Have you always been a musician? How have you? I, what have you been doing? Once I was out of bands, and I was just—I just started. I had, like I said, I had an eight-track studio, uh-huh. in a nice apartment in Flushing, and I just really honed my craft. I got better and better as a songwriter, but you know, I'm playing to the four walls. I'm uh-huh. shy about even. I, I'm very shy about my music, but I people people like it when they hear it. Good, There's some very good. good songs. I think I'm a very good songwriter, but I'm not a very good businessman. Yeah. I, so I have never really gotten a Most creative people stuff. aren't. Yeah. So, like, I was just sort of happy to do do the creative thing. I'd love. Uh-huh. If, I'd love, but I'm not aggressive like Madonna. Yeah. I'd like to, um, you know, I'd love some, some artists to do my songs. In fact, this sure. guy Guido, this guy Guido fellow, Who's directing that Emmy in the Breakfast Club thing? Right. He's he he came by a few weeks ago and I gave him a tape because I I told him a story about how Madonna had over her I I had, I had left a tape accidentally on purpose hoping that she would listen to it and she did uh-huh. and she said and she said did you write this song? It was a, it was a song called Still Life. I said yeah I did yeah. Huh. So he thought wow. oh give me that give me a Give me a tape of that song. I'll, yeah. I'll put it into the documentary or something, and then we re- we can re-record it and all this stuff. And he, he re-recorded it because he's not using any Madonna material. He doesn't want to get sued. Oh, he's sure. He's trying to be course. very careful. You yeah. know, he doesn't he doesn't want to. It's not going to be an exploitive or ex- exploitative, whatever the word is. Uh huh. Uh huh. He's not going to make huh. him look like you know, right? A, 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 a horrible human being. Right. Not okay. His, you know. She it's interesting. One like of the that. you know you you could take well, that you know, but that's just ambition. But she's yeah, not horribly she's not horribly human being. She's good. Just, okay, good to she's know. Just, she's just uh, f- funny and smart. And yeah. yes, she 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 can ride roughshod over over humans and leave people in the dust and stuff like that. But that's just who she is. Yeah. You know? Right. I was reading. Um, I read this. It was some little fluffy clickbait type article on some entertainment mm-hmm. website or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was from a couple of years ago about 
I think it was like 10 little known facts about Madonna or something. And one of them was uh-huh. the fact that she had been in your, in breakfast club. And oh, at the, but at the uh, end of it, it's, what, what's that? Where, where did you read this? My friend, John I'm trying DeVries to remember. Was, it was my friend, John DeVries from Agit Pop just came to the door and I just let him in. So I lost, so I lost my concentration during your last oh, sentence. Oh, okay. So I, uh, I was, I was, I found you, some you, little you fluffy. Something. You found this article yes. or something. And right. It's, found this, it's, it was like 10 little known facts about Madonna. And yeah, one okay. of them was okay. that she had been the drummer in the breakfast club at the end. It says something to the effect of, and good for the breakfast club having never tried to cash in That's on right. this story, this which I hadn't thought of before, but it's right. I mean, it really you is guys, true. yeah, I mean, this we documentary is one thing, but other than that, you guys could have written tell-alls if you wanted. Exactly. We could yeah. have, and, and it's been, now it's 30 years, and I didn't initiate this. This is a Dan thing. Somehow okay. this, guy, this guy Guido character got connected up with Dan and Dan was ready to tell his story. Okay. So then then he started like getting the rest of us. But I think that's correct. Uh yeah. we never did cash in on Madonna at all. No. Which you I could think, have been which you I didn't. respect about us. I respect that about us. Totally. Yeah. You know? Um and what are the what are the Gilroys doing now? Uh Dan Dan lives with the, lives in Texas. Oh. He lives with really? Duvall. He lives with Shelley Duvall. What really? Like yeah, they were a couple? They've been a couple for many, many years. You know what? I Thanks, thought of one man. more question I meant sure. I didn't mean to ask you. One more question. Sure. What were you ever uh encouraged to change your name because of the movie? We had the name before the movie. It was yeah. a big it was a big bone of contention. We had to think long and hard about it. But we figured since we had it first, we we kept it. Okay. Do you ever regret you doing you that? Can't, you, you can't copyright. It, it, it was you know we were Breakfast Club well before the movie, uh-huh. and it's probably because John Hughes came from Chicago. We both got oh. it from Don McNeil's Breakfast Club. He had a, there was a radio oh. show in Chicago in the fifties and sixties, I guess, called Don McNeil's Breakfast Club. Okay. And we always like to go out for breakfast, <laughs> and mm. so, so that's why they call themselves Breakfast Club. Okay, got and it. They were called Breakfast Club before I came aboard. Yeah. And I always thought it was a cool name, and then all of a sudden, just as we're about to come out on Z Records, this fucking movie comes out. <laughs> it definitely, definitely causes problems. And right. We did think about, we did think long and hard about changing our name, but we decided to stay with it. Huh. I don't Interesting. Know. It has it has caused confusion and, and such. Yeah, yeah. But what are you do? Wow. Okay, I've always been curious about that. <laughs> All right. Well, look, Gary, I think you're great. Thank you for Thanks, talking to me. Man. I've been I've like had a fascination with you for 30 years, <laughs> and I'm so grateful that you told me your story because I've yeah, really loved fun. you guys a lot and always wondered what happened. That was fun. There you have it, Gary Burke. Good man. Uh, now, okay. You may have noticed there at the end, he when I asked him about what Dan was up to these days, he mentioned that Dan has been with Shelley Duvall, the actress Shelley Duvall, for a very long time. That may have triggered a memory for you. A few months ago, very unfortunately, Shelley made some news when her rather severe mental illness was portrayed on the Dr. Phil show. 
if you saw that, which I hadn't seen it when I talked to Gary, but I've since watched it, it could very arguably be considered exploitative. And because of that, and out of respect for Dan and Shelley, Gary asked me to cut out any and all of our conversation about the two of them. I should say that absolutely nothing but love and respect was discussed at that time. It can't be easy. We recognize that. But just Gary was so concerned at the even the perception of piling on to the exploitation that happened on Dr. Phil that our conversation be eliminated. I wanted to respect that, and so I did. But I hope that you go out and seek out some Breakfast Club if you want. That EP that I mentioned, Percolate, that came out last year, this is a song off of it. Can't put my finger on it. I love this song. Unfortunately, Gary doesn't play on this song, but I wanted to play this because I hope that if you like the sound of this band, you'll fork over the $4.99 or whatever it is for that Percolate EP. It's worth it. It's a lot of fun. Stay tuned. After this, there's a bonus track that is very interesting. I think you'll like it. If this is your first time joining us, you can find us on Facebook, you can like our page, you can send me a message on there if you want. If there's an artist or a band you'd like me to try and track down to have on the show, you can send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, which I don't do very much of, at thehustlepod. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich for putting everything together, our producer extraordinaire. Guys, next week, we are continuing on in the, with the indelible hits of the 80s, we're going to talk to a man who sang one of the biggest global hits of the early 80s, and that was it. And it's a very interesting story. Hope you'll come back next Tuesday. Thanks, everybody.